I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Treehouse, episode 49, Shemp. With Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. Yes, it is. And a very good morning to you, everybody. Here we go with a good deed in a wicked world. Two hours of fun for old and young without the slightest hint of vulgarity. And uh, we're going to try and get through. <laughs> Already audience are rolling their eyes. We're going to try and get through. Pep's just held up a good three inches of emails. But I don't want you to think we're cavalier. We are not laughing at you. We are no laughing cavalier. Uh, by the way, my two, two of uh, my block of flats wasn't the biggest on the estate, but two of the people on our ground floor, of which there were seven, I uh, think uh, seven uh, different dwellings, uh, two of them had the laughing cavalier in their hall, perhaps. The, yeah. I've never liked it much as a painting, no, truthfully. No, it's uh, no. It was, I think it was of its time. We can't get the gag. Series two was pretty good, uh, but we, we, those paintings have been locked away. But uh, it fell off terribly. Yes, it did. It jumped the shark wheel. <laughs> yeah, I've never quite seen the... It just looks really smug. And... Well, yeah, that's it. But it was a cavalier, of course. If it had it, had yeah, it true. Over there, they'd have given you the skunk eye. Now, here's the very first thing I want people to do. Uh, we have an Instagram page, don't we, Lou? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, uh, so everyone send pictures of the Laughing Cavalier. Or indeed, you can dress up as the Laughing Cavalier. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> They're not asking much of an audience. We simply want to take off the tight mental shoes that the modern world brings them. So <laughs> a very, very good morning to everybody. And and again, it's, uh, there was plenty to be done uh, this morning, I think, on, on this day stuff that I'd like to illuminate before we get going. But uh, where I recall this, Peps, in the... Mm. Uh, you can see it behind in your. And it's Cave. another mile that way. Uh, uh, it's got one of those cords like they have in a bathroom. It's a string, you know? Oh, yeah. The light switch is, is a string. And click, click, and a very satisfying click. Mm. I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the uh, light switch in the bathroom. Quite why this room's got one, I don't know. Came in there this morning, click, click, straight into my hand, the string. No, oh. way the light, no way of getting the light back on. I don't know how those things operate. I don't know where, I don't know where that string goes once it disappears into that thing. I don't. What does it do? Is that is that the mains up there we hear about? Is that string connected to some kind of stick in the mains? And I looked at it, and, and you can barely see your hand in front of your face. Did what I always do, called Wendy. Uh, I said, what? And anybody was a teeny, teeny little bit of string still sticking out of it. And that's what I've had to get up there with maybe thumb and my forefinger just. It's, it's a tiny micro string up there. Anyway, that that's what stopped me from really looking into what happened on this day. All I've got, all I've got so far, 
would it? Sir Francis Child was born on this day, right? So, b r e a Child began Child and Co, which is uh, the Britain's oldest bank. Right, so I looked up that. Yeah, you can. And so I looked up the first ever bank that was in Italy. Now, if you're the first bank, that's it. I mean, <laughs> here we are. We're a bank. You're a what? We're a bank. But that's give that's, us your money. We'll look after it. Oh yes, of course you will. Uh, look, take this piece of paper with "I promise to pay the bearer," and that's what we still got. Uh, but anyway, Charles started the first bank. Um, it's it's still going, Child and Co. It was started 1920-something,、oh. and it's owned now, though rather disappointingly, says、uh, Child and Co. is owned by the Royal Bank of Scotland, who retain the name as a brand. Oh, all the romance disappeared. I, I pictured it like Gringotts in、uh, Harry yes, Potter,、exactly. you know, just still there with 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 men. Looking over ledgers and things. Well, the banks were relatively new、uh, in our family. My sister was the very first person in the extended family, which is pre-extended, have a bank account. No one in our family had a bank account. You didn't. You got to pay. You know, you pay at the end of the week. Some physical cash.、Mm. Terrible. And again, they talk about Gringotts. That's what it sounds like. You got an envelope. Uh, certainly, my dad did. And when I first started work, you got an envelope with a window in it,、uh, like a you know official letters come with, and you could see your cash in there. And you paid in it. Lovely. <laughs>、uh, eventually, I, I was given checks at the NME when I started there, and I had no idea what to do with them. So my friend had a shop, or there was a garage you could go in and cash your check for you. Bank account? No. Gosh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, cashing、uh, a check for for the money. Cashing your check for your money. Yes. You, oh, checks cashed here. <laughs> Shops are all about that. Cashed here, and you had to sign on the back of them. <laughs> As if that made any difference. Sign it on the back. There you are. How much? Yeah, pay the bearer thirty pounds and all of that. The male man. Well, if you've seen Cradle to Grave, the series, you know he only went in a bank once, legally. Anyway, and um. Uh, but he had no idea what the deal was. He thought the fellow was working it out. So, so he, he thought he could approach the fellow and they could, you know, come to an agreement、What's、between themselves. I know. Did you ever have? Did you have a piggy bank, Pets?、Uh, yes, and it was a little pig. It was, was a pig and a pig. Yes. Now, and how did the?、Uh, how did you get the money out again when you wanted it? The stopper at the bottom. Aha.、Uh-huh. Now, the impossible stopper at the bottom. I'm going to come to that.、Uh, do you know on、um, Amazon? And、you know where we're going there.、Uh, you can buy twenty-four of those stoppers if you want them. Why would you want twenty-four piggy bank stoppers? Because in my research, I came across that.、Uh, I just finished with a, a, a child and go while we're talking about banks.、Uh, he started his bank. He tore down the Devil Tavern, the Devil Tavern, to build it. And the Devil Tavern was where Ben Johnson had his club. Ben Johnson, of course,、um, author of Tale of a Tub. The case is altered. Every man in his humour, and the follow-up: every man out of his humour. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, he followed it up.、Uh, uh, uh, Cynthia's revels. The devil is an ass. The pole taster. The pole. I know. I know. No, thank God, nobody knows what a pole is anymore. Love freed from folly, and two great titles here from Ben: Mercury vindicated by the alchemists, and drink to me only with thine eyes. Of course, which is something. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So anyway, they tore that down just to, just to get on with it. So, so in what was this? Seventeenth century. Seventeen twenty-four. Yeah. They were turning pubs into banks. They were. T- <laughs> Bravo! Exactly. Nothing is new. No, nothing is new. By the way,、uh, the, the Mercury Vindicated by the Alchemist—pretty long、mm. title for a play. Of course, the longest title for a play. 
The persecution and assassination of Jean-Paul Marat as performed by the inmates of the asylum at Charenton under the direction of the Marquis de Sade. Now, 1963, written by Paul Weiss. And if you go on to uh, uh, Wikipedia, you can see the German version of it. Imagine how long the title is in German. The odd thing is, and this is why we sometimes know these excavations at the beginning of the show are blessed, uh, under the direction of the Marquis de Sade, it is the Marquis de Sade's birthday. It oh, look at it that. It turns out to be. But anyway, we, we can't uh, we can't hang everyone in whips and chains. We need to get on to uh, going on to uh, Amazon to find out their reviews of money boxes. Because I've heard it from Nelbit. Well, sorry, I've had a thought that maybe the stoppers are for those people that you know you have a business where the child goes in and and makes pottery. There's a no, there's no, a whole like thing so. now. Your girls are a bit old for it. But no, no, I know what you mean. You all go in and you paint something nice. I wonder if they buy isn't, isn't it a bit ambitious so to think they're gonna get the stopper gap, stopper hole really perfect. <laughs> yes, it's actually gonna be tightening in there. <laughs> God love you, they're all on there. There's several of it you can buy the stoppers and they all have good reviews. As do most of the pea banks or money boxes, because these are various. But you touched on it straight away. Most of the anger in the reviews for money boxes, Charles money boxes on uh, Amazon, is aimed at the stopper. So here are just some of the reviews, and the anger, as you quite rightly identified, is directed at the stoppers, uh, or the fact that they're at all, because what people want, apparently, from a money box is to smash it. What? They, uh, de- they demand the smashing of them. Because I've never smashed one in my life. No, the some are advertised as um, uh, as breakable. Know what to get your money out of them. But then they turn up. And so you can't, it. like us, nick the old quid out of Wilbur's money box. There you go. Exactly. Where, where are you going to get the money from the trolley? Literally go. on Sunday, I said, Simon, have you got a quid for the trolley? He looked at me, I looked at him, we went, Wilbur's money box. <laughs> well, uh, this is people who were disappointed to find there were other ways to get the money out other than taking a hammer to their money box. Uh, bought this as advertised as uh, to break open but it is not one of those breakable ones. It has a plug at the bottom like a normal piggy bank. If I wanted a normal piggy bank, I could have saved money and got a cheaper one. Next one. My daughter wanted a piggy bank that you had to smash open. This is how this product was advertised. But no, there's a stopper at the bottom. This defeats the point. Next one. Would have been useful to let customers know there's a hole at the bottom so you can use to take your money out. It defeats the whole purpose of a clay money pot. You can just smash this one. Anger up their anger on Amazon because you can actually access your money. Elsewhere, here are some of the complaints of money boxes. On if you've never heard the show before, we, we get going in a second, but we like to review mundane products on Amazon first or read the reviews. This is so much smaller than I thought. And it had a plastic plug underneath, which means you can still access your money without smashing it. <laughs> I didn't know that we were all desperate to do such a thing. Apparently so. This product arrived on... Oh, this is good, because this one is shaped like a till. Right? A child oh, nice. Till. And it says, it arrived on time, which is fine, but it's a faulty product. This till won't open. My daughter inserted money, but the till is locked and won't open. Now I've got to return the item with my money inside. <laughs> 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 She's got their four quid in it. Has she tried uh, smashing it? No, exactly. Uh, the, 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 the people are very, very particular about this. Then there was one that's shaped like a globe. The globe money box comes in a very big box, expecting a reasonable sized item. But unfortunately, it was very small when I opened it, as it came with another box inside that and another mm. box inside that covered in paper. I wasn't expecting that. wasn't at all happy, and my son has literally laughed at how small this is regarding the picture. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next one. Now, here's the yin and the yang of it. 
This is people complaining you've got to smash them. It looks like people don't read the descriptions well enough. There is no way of getting this money box open other than to smash it. Useless. We had to put several pounds into the tin when my son asked to get it out again. There was no way. Next one. Only buy this money box if you have a hacksaw to cut it open when the cash is needed. <laughs> Last couple. Very, very poor pottery, this. We shook it and the coins inside shattered it in my hand. <laughs> 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 anyway, that's plenty, I think, about reviews of money boxes on Amazon. What are we doing today, Peps? Well, our topics are number one, have you ever lived out a film scene or song lyric? Number two, lying about injuries. And number three, how did you find out your parents weren't millionaires? OK, we've got all of those to come. Thank you so much for your contributions. We are going to try and crack on. Saying, uh, of course, I advertised at the beginning of the last one was a, a subject we were doing last week, but they all remain open. And that one is terrible stories and songs you wrote as a child. And I'll, uh, I must bring you that one as soon as Pepsi has got us underway. But I will start with a very short one. Our friend Jerry in the States gets in touch and says he's lived the lyric. He says, I have stood on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. Oh! Oh, oh lovely. Nice. That's exactly, exactly what we want from you. What you got there, Beth? to see. Uh, this is from Max. He um, says, you were talking about the sedan chair recently. Yes, we were. It reminded you. me of one of my favourite stories of my wife's. She grew up around Rygate, and it's down at heel neighbour Red Hill. My friend who lives there won't be happy. One of her friend's mothers, known only as Mrs Bluemeyer, due to a Victorian-era hangover was a notorious eccentric and despite living in a well-to-do house in a fancy neighbourhood, had two goats. They lived in a vast cellar below the house and she would regularly walk them up and down the road on dog leads. I should add, she was rather hoity-toity and somewhat lacking in humour. Anyway, one day in the 70s... <laughs> The goats are not pertinent to this at all. So I was going to say, the idea is she's hoity-toity, but she keeps goats and walks them like dogs. Uh, Anyway, continue. One day in the 70s, Angie, my wife, was strolling through Red Hill Town Centre when she saw a curtained container being carried by four men through the streets. She'd never seen such a thing. And although it was clearly homemade, she was desperate to peek behind the curtain and see who could be in there. She did. And yes, there was Mrs. Bluemeyer being <laughs> carried aloft like the Queen of Sheba. She was horrified that Angie had disturbed her regal privacy and peered down her nose at her before whisking shut the curtain and continuing on her way. That's from Max. Seriously? Somebody went out in a sedan chair? In a homemade sedan chair, if you please. Could have been going to some kind of eccentric ball, I suppose. But you, like you say, she, we get the information about the, the goats and then they're just left. Uh, oh, I wanted the goats to be, you know... Somehow pulling it. But the, uh, uh, the, I always wanted a goat. They're very soothing goats because the way their jaw is always moving. You know, they, they, it comes, it swings out like a, like on when you get on the Wurlitzer at the fair. Their bottom jaw rolls out and around, <laughs> and their eyes, of course, have the pupils that go the other way. Uh, they, they're like a little diamond on its side, and uh, very, very soothing to keep a goat. Now, how about this? This is from uh, Ian in Dorset. Uh, we read this is I think it's a uh, soaking strangers I think it's oh pretty much an it, oldie yeah. I know yeah absolutely we regularly holiday in Argyle despite Scotland's sun-kissed tropics image it does occasionally rain there. <laughs> 
On the rainy days, my wife likes to head into Oban and wander through the town seeking out bargains in charity shops and overpriced tat in art shops and galleries. She's quite short, so dressed in her ankle-length wax coat with a matching wax hat and round brim, she looks rather like a cross between Paddington and Vera, the TV detective. <laughs> <laughs> I, take it, I take it your wife doesn't listen to these broadcasts, my friend. Anyway, one particular tat store impressed her with its hand-painted cards and watercolours. Perhaps there was a gift here she could buy for her mum. Edging into the overcrowded shop and careful not to knock anything over with her bags, she moved towards the back of the store, where lay the counter displaying boxes of painted cards, behind which sat a formidably stern woman. As my wife arrived at the counter, the woman leapt to her feet and berated a couple who had entered the shops carrying umbrellas. Um, could you leave the umbrellas by the door, please? Leave the umbrellas by the door. Everything here is paper or card. Be careful, she yelled. Blimey, thought my wife. She wouldn't want to upset her and looked down to examine the cards. As she did so, a quarter of a pint of rainwater she'd been carrying in the upturned brim of her hat shot forwards and poured into the box displaying the cards. Her attempts to staunch the flow just spread it wider, covering most of the items on display. Whilst the woman behind the counter slowly got to her feet with her mouth hanging open, my wife swiftly made for the door, never to return. Seeing me waited outside, she exited fast and used the single word, run. <laughs> The shop was still there the last time we visited, but my wife dare not enter. She worries that within there will be a large, wanted, large reward offered poster bearing her image. <laughs> a hat full of water. In oh. her 10-gallon hat, as in we learned. In her wax 10-gallon brim. Uh, give a sign from over there, Peps. <laughs> this is Peculiar Things in Cinemas. This is from John. I'm playing catch-up on the podcast, and I've only just been listening to Lord Waxworth's Big Idea. Man. My tale impinges on a number of your topics. Namely, do you know who you were just talking to and peculiar things in cinemas? Some years ago now, my wife and I thought we'd take our then young daughter Bernadette for a treat to see the film The Land Before Time. This is 1988, mm. an animated cartoon about a lost dinosaur. We decided we'd go up west to a West End cinema and booked three front row tickets for the afternoon matinee. This was being the days before multi-screen cinemas. It was a theatre that could hold hundreds of people. We entered the stalls and found the entire cinema was completely empty, with the exception of our three seats that were <laughs> occupied by a gentleman <laughs> and a child. My wife, being a particularly forceful woman, decided this just wasn't on and asked them to move. It was clear the film was about to start and we could sit in any other seat in the whole cinema. But no, these were our seats and she was determined <laughs> we would sit there. At this point, my embarrassment levels were at the point where I wished the floor would open. This was nothing compared to the realisation that the gent occupying our seats was none other than the actor Kenneth Cranham. No! Every time Kenneth now appears on TV, I take great pleasure in saying, look, there's that poor man you made move in an empty cinema. Here's <laughs> John. I saw um, uh, I, I saw uh, Mel Brooks's uh, High Anxiety in a deserted theatre in New York. Oh. I thought I did. I rocked up early. I thought I don't mind queuing for a bit. No queue, straight in, and nobody and nobody in there. And you cannot, with the best will in the world, engage with, let alone no. a, a film that's got. Absolutely, nobody, nobody's interested. Uh, Under-attended events, I'm always ready to get emails on. This comes from our friend Julian. About 15 years ago, I went on a fascinating tour around the Baltic states, which was still freshly post-Soviet and undiscovered by tourists in those days. Beautiful countries, amazing history and great food. 
As you can see from the attached picture, one of our group, an American called Brian, bore more than a passing resemblance to Lenin. Now I've got the photo here. <laughs> I've got the photo here, and he he does. He really, really does. Uh, he, he looks about a foot taller than Lenin, uh, two foot taller than the actual Lenin. But this, this believe us, this this kid really looks like Lenin. Anyway, it, it continues. Uh, anyway, this drew him plenty of double takes when we were out and about sightseeing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, it might be freshly post-Soviet, but I think uh, in the Baltic states they could have said, yeah, look over there, <laughs> it's, it's Lenin. <laughs> no, it's not, it's Dominic Cummings, dear. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, this drew him plenty of double takes as we were out and about sightseeing. Every market we went to was full of Cold War tack, which is the sort of stuff that fascinates me. And at one of them, someone saw us as unlikely customers, and they walked up and pulled out of his coat sleeve to show us a forearm covered in large coins. He said in the most straight out of central casting generic East European accent, Lenin, 100, and then sang the wordless opening to Happy Birthday. Or showing his, his arm with coins down it. They were coins to mark the centenary of Lenin's birth. One of the highlights of the trip was visiting the Grutas Park in Lithuania, aka Stalin World, where a lot of old Soviet-era statues have been assembled and saved for posterity. In front of one, there was a wooden shed. It was open at either end, and people were walking through it. It had a shelf on it, long enough for a tall adult to lie down. So, when we were in there, Brian, the Lenin lookalike, couldn't resist the urge to lay there and do his impression of the great man himself lying in state to the great confusion of other park visitors. <laughs> By the way, did you know Lenin spoke English with an Irish accent because that's where his teacher came from? Apparently it was commented on by H.G. Wells when he met him, although sadly no recordings of this exist. Now isn't that beautiful? Wow! There's a fella who impersonated Lenin in his mausoleum in front of a baffled Lithuanian audience. But if the photo's on uh, Instagram, he really looks like Lenin. You'd spend wow. most of your day with your arms across your chest just impersonating him. That, that's exactly what you would do. Uh, what you got over there, Peps? We, I will do a quick one, then we'll have our break. But mm -hmm. this is uh, from David. Bad plays, as, as you were asked. Mm -hmm. I once directed an adaptation of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet in primary school. It was in two acts. And the second, for reasons best known to us 10-year-olds, was set on their honeymoon in the Wild West. <laughs> we even... We even had adverts during the intermission with the smash, smash taste test and the lines, Oh, Romeo, oh, Juliet, and oh, blimey, from the gardener. The climax was a somewhat premature ending when, with the casting not quite complete by the first night, the two potential sheriffs fought over the six-gun, which skittered behind the curtain. In the race to retrieve it, during what we called a classic Shakespeare bar fight, brought several columns of chairs stacked behind the curtain, crashing onto the cast, and literally brought the house down. Inevitably, all further performances were cancelled, and senior students never permitted to put on productions again. Man, that's a beauty. I need to go for your holiday in the wild west. Romeo and Juliet's uh, honeymoon in the wild in, west. In the wild west. Uh, well, as you say, we are going to now hear from our uh, good friend, the advertisers. And when we come back, we've got a tremendous call. So we'll be right back. 
Hello, I'm Jay Rayner and I host the Out to Lunch podcast where I take fabulous guests out for lunch and grill them to a turn. For now, whilst lockdown reigns supreme, we're staying in for lunch instead and we've got great company. Fascinating people share only the best takeaways with me over webcam. Great food and insightful conversation with the likes of Gary Neville, Sharon Horgan, George Ezra and Dieter Von Tees. If you Have you ever had a cream pie in the face? No. So if you, like me, enjoy food and are missing restaurants, subscribe to Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, available wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show, radiating out across the airwaves. Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly jape or two? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session, wave ta-ta to the recession on the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. And here we are again, and before I forget it, because uh, sometimes these thoughts are like a skinless eel, they just slip out of my mind, perhaps. Uh, this is uh, someone on, on Twitter I was looking at, I uh, was talking to Emma Kennedy, and hmm. they, uh, they happened to mention a terrible offer they were once made, and I want to flag that up as a subject. Terrible offers you've had made. He said, uh, it's, uh, it's just uh, it's what Dad's daily writing is what it was. It says, true story. A funeral director from Alton offered me a job in 2018 while I was the piano player on a river ship on the Rhine. <laughs> Work that one out. <laughs> Just, that's all he's put. But he was playing the piano on a, a river cruise ship and somebody come across and said, listen, I run a rather good business uh, by Alton Way. Funeral directors, if you ever need a gig. <laughs> now, anyone else who's been made terrible offers, I would like to know if there's a worse one than that. So, you know, playing some Russ Conway, would rather come over and play the funeral march. But uh, Eddie, you've got on those we would love to hear from you now i understand we have a steamed and press correspondent is that right Pabs? we do and and i may i apologize to you and to alan that um uh, the bin lorries have just turned up outside ours so if you do no. hear banging and crashing that could be could well be what you hear but You're... that won't distract us from from alan my two dogs are very vocal i think our neighbors enjoy it uh but they're very vocal and, and wendy has to sit with them saying they're there throughout these recordings <laughs> Despite my suggestions, we should do what Elton John was once accused of, but she won't have it. Uh, so they, they, we're always on a knife edge here. But we're welcoming Alan. Hey, Alan. Good morning. Yeah, good morning to you, Alan. Please, uh, thank you for being there. Men, as Peps pointed out, don't have a great track record of getting through. <laughs> uh, uh, women seem to have no trouble doing the tiny little machinations that bring you onto the treehouse. But uh, fellas... Well and, done, uh, Alan. Not including you here, but fellas seem to get rather baffled by it. Alan, very good morning to you, my friend. Uh, what are you tugging our coat for? Um, all it was was that I, I, I sent in a bit of a, a variation on things that I've broken in shops. In the, uh, it oh, was, good. It was... I nearly broke something in a shop, um, and I okay. was I was uh, I was in Birmingham visiting Birmingham quite a long many many years ago, and was kicking my heels wandering around one of the department stores, and um, in the the wines and spirits section, um, my <laughs> eyes lit upon on the very top shelf of a very unusual chrome wire rack of wine bottles, um, a, 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 a particular type of wine that I'd heard about but never actually seen before.
for. Um, and of course, do, I do you recall any of the details? Do you recall any details of this wine? You've heard what, what it was, I, it was, it was, it was, um, it was German ice wine that I'd never heard of before, but I'd read an article about it in a magazine um, where apparently the grapes um, they allow them to freeze on the vine, which gives you a much more concentrated flavour. Um, and they're, they're they're on the top shelf of this uh, department store. Uh, wines and spirits section was a bottle of this stuff. So I thought, I'll have a look at this. Um, and in, in doing so, as I took the first bottle off, with the most wonderful rattling clatter across all the wire, um, so first one, then another, and then several more bottles <laughs> rolled towards me, um, to my consternation. <laughs> and, and I ended up... I, I always think of the old Tom and Jerry cartoons where you see him in the kitchen trying to not drop all the plates and his arms and legs going left, right, left, right. And, right. and that was... <laughs> and he has one balancing on his head and one on the end of his nose. Exactly. And Jerry just pushes the one more. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, so there you are. So, that, so there I am. And they're, they're, they're basically rolling off with the most enormous clatter into my arms and I've got I've got one in each hand I've then got them in the, the crook of my elbow sticking out at all angles uh, and as they're rolling and they keep coming and keep coming and I'm then sort of leaning into the display to make sure that these I've got something to sort of prop myself up and not drop these things and eventually about a dozen bottles later the shelf on the top is completely empty and there I am. You managed, you managed to secure. You secured them all without breaking. It was pure, more by luck than judgment. Oh, my, my friend! If you on the international cabaret circuit, that act. <laughs> what? And now I invite a member of the audience to try it. That's a brilliant act. But, but, Tremendous finish. The, uh, oh, well, you stranded it. Well, you here. You shouldn't help here. That was that. That was my, that was my problem because um, in in this department store, accompanying all the noise, all the other customers must have seen me. And then, rather than running to my aid, gave me a 20-foot exclusion zone. Um, <laughs> obviously, obviously thinking if I help this bloke and he drops them, I might end up having to pay for them. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and so there was complete silence in the in the department until such time as I screamed in a very very high pitched voice, help! Um, and a couple of a, a couple of the uh, the youngsters um, who were who were serving. Um, came and gingerly relieved me bottle yeah. by bottle yeah, of my arm. Oh load. yes, then you, then it's buckaroo. Yeah, they buckaroo indeed. <laughs> but you know what? Once you said once you said once you said youngsters there. By the way, they set them all up. Here, here he comes. Look at this sucker coming. I hope he touches them. If you set them all up right, yep, he's only going to touch that one, and they'll all come tumbling down. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure the, I'm sure the CCTV um, people had great fun in that oh. store. Well, as I said, in, in these days, you've been surrounded by people with their phones out filming. Come on, look at this, look at this poor sack. But uh, uh, Alan, bless you. Thank you very much indeed. A tremendous story of nearly breaking something in shops. Thank you, Alan. Oh, no uh, problem at all. Alan. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Velsa, thank you. Uh, 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 Peps, I don't know if you heard me um, uh, say the phrase, help here, help here, uh, during that. That was um, uh, the great Lionel Jeffries that was involved in a contretemps once um, uh, in distress. He was filming a scene for a sitcom in the 80s, this was, and uh, he was supposed to be in a, um, a Volkswagen that went into a lake and floated out over the lake, and that was going to be the final shot of it. 
I think he was playing a driving instructor in it. But as the Volkswagen, the prop Volkswagen went into the lake, it started to sink. And he, there's photos of this, if you ever look at it, he climbed out onto the top. And uh, it was at the time, you know, uh, uh, very distressing, I should imagine. But he sat on the top waiting for uh, a moment to see what was happening. And as it started to sink, he just looked towards the camera. And with, I mean, it's Lionel Jeffries here, you know, nosy Parker himself. He looked with this plaintive look on his face, just starts going, help here, help here. <laughs> and I've got to say, myself and a few of my friends still, when even there's minor distress, we'll look at each other and go, help here, help here, particularly if they're telling a story, which needs bailing out of what have you got over there perhaps this is from greg boring jobs i'm an automate automate autom- <laughs> i'm an autom- help here, help here. Help here. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> i'm an automotive engineer and in the late 90s got my dream job at lotus not just any job either working for the lotus race team I just started and was very excited about the prospect of glamorous weekends away, helicopters and jet set people, rock stars and actors and parties on islands. I can't wait. It was Friday afternoon when the dream came crashing down. Friday in the automotive industry is called Poets Day. Oh, yeah. As in, he off early tomorrow, Saturday. Yeah. And no different at Lotus, the early finish was at 12.15. If this was a lovely Friday in summer, a perfect day for an early finish. It was about 12 when the bubble burst. 15 minutes before home time, in walks the boss. Taylor, before you leave, I need you to go through this BOM and add and delete parts to represent the new race car. It's got to be done before you leave. Well, I thought this must only be a 15-minute job. His instruction implied it had to be done before I left in 15 minutes. A BOM is short for Bill of Materials, and Ah. every product has one. It's a list of every single component required to build that car. Every screw, every seal, every blob of grease. Thousands upon thousands of lines (laughs) describing every single part and what was needed. If it's wrong, of course, the build process, the ordering and the costs are wrong. So it's very important. The boss was holding it. It was equivalent in size and weight to the Doomsday Book. (laughs) He dropped it like a concrete slab on my desk. See you Monday, he said, with the parting shot. If you need to lock up, make sure you tell security. Oh, oh, I wouldn't have this. This is what 12.05 on a glorious Friday. Everybody off to the pub or the beach. Some friends probably going out clubbing in Norwich. And here I was going line by line, every nut, bolt, washer and rivet in a Lotus Elite, deleting the ones we didn't, adding in the ones we did. It was agonisingly boring. I can tell you how many M6 washers going a pedal box assembly. <laughs> I didn't leave until 9.30pm. A broken man. The dream died a bit that day. The, world, the glamorous world of motorsport was not for me, but I did in the end fly in a helicopter. And the only rock star I met was the one from Boyzone that no one can remember. <laughs> the chief mechanic said he shamed someone. Is it Shane Fenton? <laughs> of course, he uh, rebirthed himself as Alvin Stardust. I always thought that was odd, by the way, before we regard our, uh, the, the nuts and bolts of that, literally. Uh, Alvin Stardust hmm. uh, didn't even bother to, you know, because Ziggy Stardust had happened with Bowie. And Alvin thought, well, I'll be Alvin Stardust then. And uh, I didn't, years and years, I never put the two together. But Bowie brings out Ziggy Stardust. Shane Fenton thinks, oh, that's the new racket, is it? Then I'll be 
Elvin Stardust. <laughs> the moon dust. Didn't even bother you exactly to change it. And Elvin Stardust and Ziggy Stardust. And it rather takes the glory off of that. But two things there. Uh, do people, Greg, by do the way. people, do people, uh, I can't imagine they still do it, refer to you by your surname in work? I mean, you see it in George Formby filmed a lot. But he said he walked in, Turner, you're not going anywhere. How dare people have ever called by your surname in work? Uh, yeah, George Formby's always called it, you know, with his name in the film. He's always called George, but they used to change his surname. Uh, his name was George Farmer, in it? Farmer, where are you going? You know? Uh, and he used to be so deferential when bosses sometimes came to his house because his plan had worked out and they had a contract in the sign. And I remember in one he says, Oh, Mr. Johnson, at our house. <laughs> anyway, but the master servant relationship, did anyone ever get called by their surname? And Wendy used to get called all the time at the NME like that by a writer I think a lot of people would have heard of called Nick Kent. Nick okay. Kent, probably the most famous rock writer that came out of that entire period. But Nick uh, had a bohemian lifestyle and he was a junkie, terrible old junkie. And uh, he used to turn up just as Wen was putting her coat on. And I used to be waiting for her because we started going out there. Uh, and he would turn up and Nick couldn't type. Nick Kent used to write a uh, longhand in this oh, spidery gosh. writing. And because he was, as I say, the bohemian and both strung out, he didn't even have paper peps. He would turn up some of the most some of the most famous and legendary screeds in uh, British rock journalism. His thing that basically started punk rock called the Titanic Sails at Dawn. Uh, or was that Mick Farron? Anyway, but, uh, all these interviews with Bowie and, uh, you know, New York Dolls and Iggy Pop, etc., etc. Uh, he wrote longhand, not on paper, whatever was to hand. And he would come into Wendy as she was putting her coat on at half past five at the enemy and say, oh, I'm sorry, Wendy, uh, could you type this up for me? And he would hand sometimes a cornflakes packet that he had turned inside out and wrote on the blank side of it. These articles and went out and say, well, what's, what's page one here, Nick? Well, um, uh, I think page one is on that uh, that receipt there. Uh, and then it goes on to the cornflakes box. And Paul went out and then start hacking it out. But she would. <laughs> I used to say, leave him. Tell me to piss off when I leave off then. But so I understand what that's like when someone comes in late and I should do something. This is um on the, uh, the subject of tickets. Uh, this is, well, it, 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 that's what it starts with anyway. Uh, this is from a very good correspondent. Let me find the name on this. The uh, correspondent's name is uh, Jeff. So Jeff says this about this, Peps. The date is the 6th of June, 1984. My wife and I are sitting on a 50-seater coach, excited at the prospect of seeing Billy Joel and his up, in his uptown girl phase at the Wembley Arena. As we awaited the departure of the coach, the driver came over the loudspeaker to say we were leaving soon and check we had everything we required because we were making a long journey down from Carlisle. Ooh. My wife checked in her bag for the tickets and found them. However... She discovered they were the wrong tickets. She had mistakenly picked up Stevie Wonder at the Birmingham Arena instead of Billy Joel. She whispered to me, I've got Stevie Wonder tickets in Birmingham. Uh, uh, what should we do? As we lived a few miles away from the bus station and the air brakes had already started, my first thoughts were either we could just pick up a couple of tickets at the venue from a friendly tout or just go shopping in central London instead. After dismissing these ideas, I decided I would sidle up the aisle with the bus and surreptitiously as possible, tell the driver of our plight and hope he might have an idea what to do. Well, he did. His idea was that he would drive his bus quickly to our house so we could pick up the correct tickets and then he would put his foot down on the motorway. 
The first problem with this plan is that our house was in the exact opposite direction from the Wembley Arena. And as you can imagine, the other passengers worried the bus driver didn't know where he was going. Oh, no. The second problem, and this is what I love, was that we lived in a very narrow terrace street that was closed at the far end, which would require the bus driver to carry out a three-point turn with his huge vehicle to get us back on track. This caused quite a bit of curtain twitching as the neighbours puzzled looking out of windows at the hapless drive. It is when Paul Gascoigne got married, uh, when he got uh, married, uh, he sent a massive stretch, those ridiculous stretch limousines, you know, that you see now used for hen nights and stuff. Very novel then. And the street I lived in in Deptford was very narrow, very, very narrow, weaved around a park. And uh, I didn't know he was going to send his car around until we heard this honking outside as I'm, I'm looking for a tyre and when still not dressed. And downstairs was this massive uh, stretch limousine. And we looked out the window and said, we're going to be about half an hour. And you can't, couldn't get by him. And people saying, Dan, I've got to get to work. Could you tell that driver? He couldn't go this way. He couldn't go that. Anyway, so I understand our friend's pain here. Having finally got back onto the motorway, we relaxed and looked forward to the day ahead. It went well. After the gig, we once again arrived back at the bus station in Carlisle, and I naturally gave the driver a very well-earned large tip. As we departed the bus, I thank God that as we didn't know anyone else on the trip, our misfortune would never again come to light. Or so I thought... Fast forward 25 years to 2009, and I am working for McVitie's Biscuits. It is a Sunday afternoon, and there are about 10 engineers sitting around a table wasting time until finishing time when Billy Joel came on the radio. One guy starts to sing along. He knows all the world, and we're both belting it out. I say to him, fan of the man, are you? He says, yeah, 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 I've seen him a few times. I went to see him at Wembley years ago during the Uptown Girl Tour. Before I'd engaged my brain, I said, yeah, I did too. He immediately stopped singing and said, remember the stupid bastard who'd got the wrong tickets? <laughs> I tried to play it cool, but my body betrayed me. And I felt what felt like the backdrop from a Boeing 747 flushing over my face. He realised straight away that I was the culprit and proceeded to recount the full story to all my colleagues, which certainly brightened up an afternoon. It was a long time before it was ever forgotten. And from that day onwards, whenever I'm going anywhere with tickets, I now triple check to prevent a repeat happening. How about that? And apologies for the epithet in there, but that's the verbatim quote he gave me. Something quick from over there, Pepson would be done. This is um, from Roger. This was dreams and talking in your sleep. I often talk in my sleep while dreaming and my wife normally stops uh-huh. it with a sharp elbow, but she was enjoying this one and let it run. Back in 2006, I had a very vivid dream that I was a minibus driver at Sports Personality <laughs> of the Year. <laughs> Apparently, I was getting very agitated as the winners wouldn't get on the bus because they wanted to have a drink. I finally managed to get them on board, but I'm afraid to say Zara Phillips, who was that year's winner, kept taking her seatbelt off and trying to kiss Darren Clark, the runner. I got so fed up, I pulled over in Hatfield and had a word. She opened the door and legged it. I had to spend 10 minutes chasing her around an Asda car park, and then I drove off and left her. All the while, I apparently provided a running commentary to this to my wife's much amusement. I should point out, I have never driven a minibus and I have never been to Hatfield. Come regards, Roger. <laughs> All it needed there was him to say, and there was one person, there was Harvey Smith, the former show jumper, uh, forgot his tickets and we wanted to go to his house to pick them up. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're virtually done now. And I, I, mean, I never let daylight in upon magic, but uh, I'm going to do a special thank you to Phil Wilding, who's producing this, because we've had the most horrendous difficulties, <laughs> and you probably won't notice, I hope, unless Phil's fed up of it, uh, but with me nearly passing out on, <laughs> on the microphone 
and kind of technical things you don't want to know, but why would you? I'll end uh, looking up, not down. This is from Barry. You recently talked about heating the poker in the coal fire and the burning logs and newspapers, etc. This reminded me of the thing we used to do in the 70s where we would heat a poker up until it started to glow red and then carefully slide it into an empty packet of crisps. I'm sure Golden Wonder were the best. If you managed to get the poker in the opening, the heat would shrink it to a perfect miniature, little tiny bag of crisps. It was dangerous fun, uh, but we had to do that when our parents left us at home. Now, the reason I, I, I gun through that is on uh, the old BBC London show, uh, we had a correspondent, a woman who used to do this for us. You put the, you put a crisp bag. We'll put them in the kettle. oven. We used yeah, you put to. it in the oven or under a grill. Mm. And it does. It goes teeny, teeny, tiny. And she used to then make things out of them. She made a handbag at a tiny little crisp <laughs> packet. At the time, it was a gag. Now, now, oh, the Turner Prize, or at least <laughs> five grand in uh, Harrods. Anyway, I think while we're still riding our luck here, perhaps we should finish the show. Play the theme tune, Phil. One, two, three, four. Three, Climb up, come in, let's cozy down Wave goodbye to that silly frown As we chase our cares away In the treehouse The fire's on, it's warm inside We guarantee you'll be satisfied As we laugh the day away In the treehouse Take away and by the skin of our teeth, I want to thank Louise <laughs> Napoleon Pepper, the great-granddaughter of Ho Chi Minh on the other side of London, uh, Phil Walling, as I say, and, of course, the people at Something Else for giving us this platform. We're back with Show 50, or as we should call it, Show 1000. That'll be on Saturday. I'll see you then. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.